it was a Friday that was filled with a whole mix of emotions, confusion, anticipation, hope, sorrow, disbelief. On Saturday, however, there was a really emotion you could feel, despair. Because when you've pinned all your hopes and dreams on a Messiah that was now dead, well, you're left to deal with the emptiness of that reality. That everything you had based your faith on now turned out to be a hoax. It's part of the Easter story that can never be forgotten because without the pain and confusion of Friday, when Jesus died on the cross, and the despair of Saturday, when his followers were left just sort of picking up the pieces, well, an Easter Sunday would never quite have the same significance. It was the despair of Saturday that set up the hope for Sunday. Just like sometimes it is our emptiness we'll find that will really provide us the impetus to maybe become full. In fact, that very first Easter morning, it wasn't filled with any kind of hope or celebration or or Easter eggs like we might celebrate it today. It was instead a time of grieving Over Jesus, yeah, but also over unmet expectations and unrealized dreams. And maybe you've been there. When you you feel let down by an outcome or, or disappointed with life because you feel in your heart that this wasn't the way it was supposed to go. Your spouse told you they wanted that divorce. You or someone you love received the bad diagnosis. Maybe you always assumed you'd be married by now, but you still find yourself single and you struggle with the why. Maybe you graduated from college and you worked so hard for that degree only to now realize, I can't live on this paycheck. Or even worse, I don't even like this job. Or maybe for you, it's become the everyday grind or the monotonous routine of life that's made you think this isn't quite what I had planned for myself. And it's left you feeling empty because things haven't really gone according to plan. And you know, for the disciples too, well, nearly everything of those last couple days of Jesus' life didn't go as planned. See, many of them had left homes and careers to follow Jesus because over the three years that he traveled around and he taught the many people in the crowds, well, their anticipation grew of his expected showdown with the Roman government. Jesus spoke more and more often of this coming kingdom of God, and they all expected it to lead to him riding into Jerusalem to overthrow the the corrupt and the oppressive Roman regime and finally set up a Jewish kingdom that could never again be conquered by any foreign power. It's why when Jesus rode into town on the colt of a donkey, just as scripture had foretold. Well, the people lined the streets to welcome him. They they fanned him with palm branches as though he was royalty. And their chants of Hosanna, which meant save us, save us, grew louder and louder with each passing step. And oh, in that moment, the Christian movement and Jesus and his followers had been so full of life. But now, 
their Messiah, lay lifeless. And it's left them feeling empty on the first Easter morning. And as if that empty feeling in their soul wasn't bad enough, well, they would also soon discover that Jesus' tomb was empty as well. If you got your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. We find the story there. Or if you don't have your Bibles this morning, it's just always going to be on screen. And verse 1 begins like this. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. And we don't know where they put him. Now, a lot of us Christians, I mean, we may fist bump over this verse. (laughs) He is risen. We now understand the implication. But for Mary... Well, she wasn't delivering any sort of exciting news. I mean, there was no thought yet to Jesus pulling off Easter. Notice in her words there, she just assumes Jesus has been stolen. Someone's taken his body. We got to figure out where they've put him. For her and the other disciples, there was really no other explanation, even though even though Jesus had already told his disciples exactly what would happen on three separate occasions. You know, three different times, Jesus had explained to them that he would be arrested, tortured, killed, but then raised to new life. I mean, they should have seen it coming. They should have known There should have been a welcome home party there in the garden right outside the tomb where they all waited for Jesus to walk out on the third day to an eruption of applause and high fives. There should have been balloons and streamers and a big banner that read, take that, Satan. (laughs) But instead, Jesus rose from the grave without any fanfare. Because no one at that time could imagine it possible. And it's one of the questions that we too get confronted with each Easter. Do I believe that Jesus can do the impossible? Do we believe that we have eternal life because Jesus has conquered death on our behalf? And do we believe that Jesus can truly bring new life to dying things? You know, it always probably remained a little bit of a mystery to us. The why and the when of God possibly working a miracle. Sometimes it's even the if. But one thing I'm certain of is that God still does, in fact, work miracles today. That he can resurrect a seemingly dead marriage. That he can heal what looks incurable. He can provide when situations feel impossible. He can restore hope where hope was once dead. Because there's always a hope that can be found in God. And you know, I believe that he has really hardwired us to search for it. Have you ever noticed that we we tend to be endless hopers? That we're always in some way hoping for something more. Some of your kiddos today, will run from one Easter egg to the next in hopes that what they find will be even better than the last. 
Hope is what compels me to open up my bank statement at the end of the month. (laughs) Because I'm hopeful that maybe it's not as bad as I thought. Hope is why people continue to go on dates. Because maybe the next one might be the one. Hope is why you bought a treadmill. (laughs) You were hopeful that it would be used for something more than maybe just placing or hanging your clothes on. I've heard it said before that hope is the only thing stronger than fear. And it's perhaps what Jesus' disciples were driven by that first Easter morning in search of just a little bit of hope when things felt so empty and so dark. In verse 3 of John chapter 20, it says, Peter and the other disciple. Now, we know that that other disciple was John who wrote this gospel or this account of Jesus' life. And in his writings, he would normally always tend to name everybody but himself. He just liked to refer to himself as, well, the one whom Jesus loved. (laughs) Which I imagine all the other disciples really loved that. (laughs) It's always nice to be told Jesus loves you all, but he loves me most. (laughs) It's like when you're little, if you happen to have other siblings, you may have asked mom, hey, mom, I know you love us all, but who's your favorite? It's John. His writing, he's he's always sure to give us what he sees as the most important details. And so he writes this, that Peter and he, the other disciples, they started out for the tomb. In verse 4, they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Just so we're clear, (laughs) Peter and I raced. I won. Let's make sure we get that in the Bible. (laughs) And after having gotten there first, it says that he, John, stooped and he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived. And he, well, he just went right inside because that is Peter. Passionate and impulsive. And about three quarters of the time, it's gotten him into a lot of trouble. But this time, it drives him straight into the tomb racing past maybe any sort of fears or doubts that he may have had. And it says that he, Peter, also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. And then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and believed. You know, I I find it interesting that although John got there first, he stopped just short of going in. And I wonder how many of us at times have maybe come so close in faith but stopped just short of experiencing Jesus. And maybe that's a question that you would ponder for yourself this Easter. Is there something that's made me stop short of experiencing him? Maybe we've heard of him, we know of him, but have never really experienced Jesus in such a way that he's begun to change our life. And yet that invitation is always there. And for John, that seemed to sort of come as a result of Peter because it wasn't until he saw Peter's courage to enter into the tomb that he was persuaded then to also step in and experience the scene as well. And hopefully we've all got someone like a Peter in our life 
that we can look to. Maybe that will even drag us to an Easter service. Or someone that we can look to for encouragement and fully experiencing what life with Jesus can look like. And it says that John, and of course, presumably Peter as well, saw and believed. Which sounds so definitive, doesn't it? And yet, then there's this little parentheses in a lot of our Bibles that reads in verse 9, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, we would assume that they were at least convinced of the resurrection based on all of the evidence they saw there. But they still weren't quite sure of its meaning. And so they walked away, maybe with this belief, but it still hadn't quite affected their life. So what did they do? They just went home. And it made me think that, you know, the the worst case scenario in hearing an Easter message is really that we just all go home, believing that something has happened, but that nothing has really changed. Or leaving maybe just as empty as when we came. Oh, but there's so much more to this story because an empty tomb should translate to a full life and as we'll see in the next scene of scripture well Jesus bridges the chasm between empty and full death and life because when we will look to heaven well we will find Christ who is our living hope. We're going to sing of that now. Would you join me? How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. Desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory.
Pastor Brent shared with you part of the story. We can't leave without telling the rest, right? If you thought that was it, sorry. Uh, this is part two. <laughs> Jesus spent his entire ministry, I think, telling people that the empty life was not for them, that he offered something much greater. In John 10, 10, he would say these words that would establish much of what he would do in the lives of people um, to the very end and still does it 2,000 years later today. When he says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what the empty life does. But I have come that they may have life. But he adds this, it's very interesting, that they may have it to the full. Translations will say abundant, this full life he offers. And he will spend his whole time saying all the way up to the end that an empty tomb equals a full life. That emptiness is not the end. And so we want to look at the rest of the story and see that very fact. I want to present you with some things today that he has for us and then call you and invite you to a full relationship with him. Now, Mary um, had run to the tomb as Brent shared, and she had experienced a little bit of it already. And she is feeling empty and she feels lost. She is outside the tomb crying. She looks in, and the Bible tells us that she sees two angels, and she asks them, you know, they ask her, why are you crying? She asks them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. We've lost Jesus. And, um, and so uh, she turns around to leave. It says in John 20, 14, and 15, that she turns to leave, and she sees someone standing there, the Bible tells us she didn't recognize it, it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. And he says to her, dear woman, why are you crying? She's asked this again. Who are you looking for? And this is what's funny all the time. She thought he was, what? The gardener. Really? <laughs> How could you not recognize the one that you've been around for years? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. The whole thing is almost comical to a certain extent if you think it through a little bit and put yourself in the story. So this whole experience begins to reveal to us that Jesus does one of a couple things that we want to talk about today. One, that Jesus offers you and I and fills us with hope. How does he do that? How does he do it in this story? Well, the first way that he does it is hope comes from his presence. So just the fact that he shows up even though she doesn't recognize him, is a big deal. His presence 
offers fullness to something that was fully empty. Sometimes when we feel empty and when when we feel lost from all the things that have tortured us in life, caused destruction, that have discouraged us, we don't recognize the presence of God. Often emptiness blinds us to the God who is very present in our lives. Have you ever experienced that? Like you are so caught up in the things that have brought you down, that have left you wanting, that you don't even recognize when God is showing up through people, through experiences. But his presence offers hope even when we don't recognize him. Jesus shows up to our greatest need, I believe, even when we don't see him working at the moment. Where hope dies and causes destruction, Jesus revives our faith. And one of the things that he does is he offers hope and then he offers healing. And one of the things that the resurrection does that he offers is transformation. So many things have left us empty. He offers a brand new life, a brand new life that can bring new opportunities, new possibilities, a whole new purpose, and we believe a whole new life. Even when we can't see it at the moment, Some of you may be here today and life feels so empty that you are blind to the fact that God has showed up today and he offers you something more than you can ever imagine, more than you thought was possible. In fact, some of it is brand spanking new. It's not to get you back to your old life. It's to offer you something brand new. New purpose, new opportunities. I love one of many scriptures that speak of this is Romans 6.4. Romans 6.4 says these words, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. In fact, we're gonna have a baptism in about a month or here and celebrate those that have given their life to Jesus by recognizing this very thing. We died to sin, we're buried with sin, you know, but Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father. And listen to this, now we may also live these new lives. That is available to you. Because Jesus is present, because he shows up. And hope comes not only from his presence, but here is maybe my most special thing today. When I read this, it it just is earth-shattering for me. And maybe it makes sense to you that hope comes not only from his presence, but it comes from his voice. One of the things that happens in this story is found in verse 16. When Mary cries these words and has this engagement with who she thinks is the gardener, this is what happens next. This simple one word is spoken, Mary. And she turns to him when she hears it from Jesus. And she cries out, Rabbi, teacher, my Lord. It opened her eyes to who he is. Amen. The the power of a voice can do that. She knows that voice. It's not the voice of just anyone. It is the voice of Jesus alive. So hope comes from his presence, but it also comes from his voice. There is power when someone says your name. There is power for me when someone says my name, especially when it's done in compassion compared to condemnation. Condemnation is, for me, when you hear the words, Ronald William, (laughs) now you know, huh? So I'm sure I'm going to hear that plenty of times. They even leave out the last name. Just add the middle. And when you go Ronald with me, you're, you're pushing it. That means something's wrong. But when somebody who loves me thinks the best of me, offers me hope, and wants me to feel built up, and like I can do anything, it's completely different. Hey, Ron. It's a word that is spoken that goes right to the place of your deepest need. Not only that God is present, but that God sees you. For some of us here today are so empty, even though you sit in the midst of Over 200 people at this service, you feel completely alone. But there is a God 
who showed up 2,000 years ago. Everyone thought he was dead. And there is a God who shows up 2,000 years later, and he knows your name. I love hearing the stories when somebody comes and they say to one of us teaching pastors, Brent or me, and they say, it's like you were speaking right at me today. And I often say it's because I was. I looked directly at you and this was exactly for you because I know all about your life. (laughs) I cannot do that. I do not have that power. If you ever feel that, if you ever hear the voice of God calling you in the midst Of these types of experiences, let me tell you, it's because God knows you. And because he sees you, you are not alone. Emptiness makes us feel lonely and afraid. But the compassionate voice of Jesus today is speaking your name. And it creates hope. It fills the void left with the possible. Jesus knows your name. His presence makes it possible, this transformation and change. His voice makes it personal. Because it's one thing to address an entire crowd with this, but it's another thing to be seen in the crowd. His presence makes it possible because of what happened. But his voice, it makes it personal. And it comes from someone who is not dead, who is alive. And there is power in that. When it comes from the living, not the dead. Brokenness, fear, doubt, unmet expectations are all emptied and filled with hope. And in this hope, one of the things that Jesus does is compels her to go and share that hope with others. For this is a beautiful thing when someone's life gets transformed. And Jesus says, if that's happened to you, and he tells her, go and find my brothers and tell them. Tell them that I'm alive. Tell them that you have seen me. Tell them that I know your name. And so she runs and does that, and she says to them, I have seen the Lord, and then she gives them this message. Though there are still many questions, and some of you may be here today, and this day will not answer all those questions, will not fix all your issues, your problems, your struggles, will not completely fix your marriage today, your job, your dysfunctional family that you got to go to and eat ham with in a little bit. (laughs) So I am not offering you that. I am offering you something bigger and grander. And his name is Jesus. He has changed my life. But I do not have all the answers. I don't know, you know, how it's all going to work out. But he's filled that empty void with his presence and his voice. And though everything may still be unclear for you, she is still driven forward. We should be driven forward by the fact that he lives. And there is that. The other thing that Jesus does is he fills you with peace. Easter can leave us empty again if it's only about, you know, all the ham and eggs. I loved getting money eggs when I was a kid, and I still love it at 55. (laughs) When I was at the vet with my dog uh, on Friday, the the vet techs all had a basket on their counter where they were going to take a lot of money from me, and they were filled with plastic eggs. And I asked, what are in those? Because I want them. Is there cash? (laughs) And they said, no, there's dog treats. And I said, well, I will take that too. I, you know... (laughs) But you open up, you get the money, you eat the treat, and it's empty again. But Jesus comes and offers us something that extends much further, for there is no peace when we're left empty again and again and again, for that is what we get when we try the same things over again that didn't work the first time. But he offers peace that comes. John 20, 19 and 20 says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was there standing among them, and he'll say this many times, peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them his wounds and his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. 
And he'll say it again and again and again. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. One of the disciples was not there, Thomas. He was so distraught, he couldn't even show up. So he's not there when Jesus showed up this time. And in verse 25 and 26, they tell Thomas because he comes the next time and they tell him, we've seen the Lord, but he replies, I won't believe it unless I see the real nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Jesus comes to offer peace to those that don't have it, that feel empty and lost. Now, let me just give you a quick few things that we believe with this story. And then I want to give you the wrap up. Hope and peace come because we believe these few things. One, the resurrection of Jesus was a real event. It's not a story. I do not believe it's fake. It has stood the test of time. And I know there might be some here that would want to debate that, and we can do that another time. We're not going to do it this morning, but I believe it was a real event that was historical. I believe just because the fact that women testified proves another part of it. We won't go into that. There is no body. No body has shown up for 2,000 years. The Gospels tell the repeated story, and then we see throughout the text of the Bible that there were many eyewitnesses. So today, folks, I believe the resurrection was a real event, not a myth or a legend. I do not present that to you today. That will not change you. That will not fill the emptiness that we find ourselves in or the world finds themselves in. I believe the resurrection of Jesus, we do that it was a real experience for his followers. It causes them to pause, to consider, and then to make a choice about it. And that's where we find ourselves today. They experienced this. They touched, they felt, they smelled, they spoke, they heard, they saw. And that the, re the resurrection then out of that has real implications. It was a real event. It's a real experience. It has real implication, implications then if that is true. Death is not the end. Jesus defeated death. And he offers life now and for eternity. And again, life now and for eternity. This is not an offer of, hey, go to heaven one day, but live in hell right now. That's how we treat it sometimes. No, he offers a transformational life now and for eternity. That's the invitation. I believe that Jesus then, if that is true, these real experiences, real events with real implications can restore your future, your marriage, your relationships. It can transform your life. Why? Because of Jesus and the resurrection and what he offers. So that means it really matters. Another pastor has said many times, I picked it up as well, Jesus makes you better at life and he makes your life better. How can we have this life then when sin has left us empty and separated? Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection took care of that. He took care of separation from God and death by taking care of sin through his sacrifice his resurrection then gives us new life, so I'm going to tether my life to him. Anything else out there for me is not proven worthy of tethering my life to. I give my life to Jesus because I believe in these things, not because it's just a good idea. So the last thing is this. Jesus invites you to an experience, to experience a full life with him. He does that in this story, John 20, 27 and 28. Thomas shows up, the rest of the gang is there, men and women, and John 20, 27 and 28 tell us these words. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands, put your hand into the wound in my side, don't be faithless any longer, he says, believe. This is a cry to us today experience life with Jesus. He offers hope by his presence and he knows you intimately. He sees you. He cares for you. With compassion, he speaks your name. And out of that, he offers peace. So why not take the invitation to come and put your life into his? Re receive him for yourself. Let him feel the emptiness that you're experiencing right now that can only come from him. 
believe. And in it, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He experienced something. Psalm 1611 speaks to this. Their emptiness turned into the fullness of joy and that transformed them into world changers. What they were is not who they are anymore. What you were is not who you have to be anymore. But you cannot do it on your own. You cannot fill that void on your own. Psalm 16, like many places in Scripture, tells us this. You make known to me the path of life, God. In your presence, ah, in your presence there is what? Fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The worship team's coming. We're going to sing one more song before we send you out. I'll come back up after that, give you a blessing, pray for you, give you a couple quick announcements. Brent asked us a couple questions. Do you believe Jesus can do the impossible in you? For some of you in here may say those very words that we hear once in a while, and that is this. Yeah, but you don't know what I did. It's impossible for him to change me. And I would say that's a lie of the enemy. God showed up. He's resurrected and alive, so his presence makes it possible. He did it then. He's done it in many of us. And he can do it in you. And so I ask you then, the second thing is, what is stopping you short of experiencing Jesus? Do not wait until you are completely empty. If you're able to, would you stand with me? Some of you are like, I've had it with standing thing, all right? You can sit. No, this is not part of it. There's not a third guy coming up, okay? (laughs) We tricked you. You're going to be here all day. (laughs) So let me give you three things. There is a card in front of you, all right? If you are a follower of Jesus, it's the best way I think I can say it. If you have given your life to him and you follow him, one of the things I'm asking you to do is simply step out. So the, the The call to you is not to give your life to Jesus. You've done it. You follow him. But you may take the compelling life that Jesus has offered you, that has transformed you, and his response to you and our response to you and our invitation to you is to go and tell that to people out in this world. We're not to hold it in. We're to tell this great, miraculous thing that has happened to us. Our life has changed. Jesus is alive. You don't have to stay that way, people. Go and tell. If you're a follower of Jesus, go and tell. Step out. If you're not ready, I would ask you to consider. I'm asking you to step towards him. I'm asking you to take just a little, even if it's a little bit, like Ron, I don't believe this was a real event. Would you consider it? Let me offer you this. It may take you this kind of thought. I love, Brent said it, the scriptures tell us, then in each occasion, it seems, then there's reasons why. But let me just offer this. If you're here today, and you're not, I'm not ready to follow Jesus, Ron. We're glad you're here. We're thrilled that you're with us or listening online. But what if, you know the Bible says they stooped down and then went and looked in? There is an element for just a moment would you consider, would you leave and contemplate just for a moment, this element of, Take whatever self or pride, whatever's holding you back, and just stoop down a little bit with that and say, you know what? I'm just going to, I'll look inside. I'll look. And I would go, that's good enough for me right now. It's not where I want you to stay. Because if you don't go in, give your life to Jesus, Nothing can really change. But I would just ask today, if you're not ready, we are so thrilled you're with us. We want you to come back. But maybe just take a step towards. But ah, if you're ready, if you're ready, I compel you by the living Jesus and what he has done for us to step in to step in and experience him 
Why wait? Why wait? Step in and see he's alive. Hear his voice. Call your name. And surrender your life to him. And we would like to know that. You can fill out this card. You can give it to us as we're singing. You can can get prayer with some people in the back that stand against the wall. You can put it in the box. We'll contact you. But I encourage you today as we sing, would you fill that out? Would you let us know? Come alongside you so that you can experience Jesus as we are. For he is alive. Father, today as we sing, it's with rejoicing that those of us that follow Jesus can say thank you, can give you glory, sing hallelujah because you are alive, you are not dead. Your presence, your voice, your peace has been given to us and it's changed us. For those that are considering, Lord, contemplating, I pray they take just a step towards whatever it is. Is it something because of the event, the experience, something left them wanting, religion, whatever it is, may they just take a little bit of that stooping down and take a step towards. But Lord, those that are ready, may they just step into life with you, transformational life with you, Jesus. Thank you for taking care of our sin, for getting rid of it, so that we can embrace relationship with you, God. And thank you that Jesus is alive. Amen. Let's sing. Then I'll come back and pray with you and send you out.